Continuing on in our series on bringing UX into organizations, today, each another's Brian Heron talks to Don Lomahany of Fleetmatics about building design teams and shipping products that users love. Hope you enjoy. Frankly, we all know the stories of venture capital companies who are now not investing in companies that don't have design representation, and not just design representation, actually design leadership. And how you deliver on that is, uh, is really, really important. UX has gone mainstream, internal teams are flourishing, and UX designers are commanding eye-watering daily rates. Corporate walls are festooned with post-its, whiteboards, and user journeys, but having a kick-ass UX team churning out wireframes is just not enough. You also have to deliver for the business. And that's the topic today, how to actually make UX a success in organizations. I'm Brian Heron, and this is Conversations with Each and Other. Joining me in our studio today, we have Donal O'Mahony, Head of UX and Product Design at homegrown success story Fleetmatics. He's building the UX and design capabilities over there and has been doing so for the last year. Hello, Donald. Hello, how are you? So I think before we get started and start talking about UX in your company, um, Fleetmatics is sort of, it's one of the companies that we see you know, emblazoned the, the front of uh, business pages at the moment. But for those who aren't too familiar with who you are and what you do, maybe you could give us a quick potted history. Okay, so Fleetmatics is probably one of the most successful uh, SaaS stories from Ireland and um, and possibly the world. Uh, it was meteoric in its rise. Uh, and yes, it's another success story that started over uh, the morgue in the centre in Temple Oak uh, in two rooms there, uh, I think around 14 years ago. And what Fleetmatics does is assist uh, the mobile workforce uh, and also connected vehicles. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. It's a big data story. It's an IoT story. And uh, now in this era as well, it's becoming very much about UX as well. So it's becoming very much focused on uh, design as a differentiator. So that's why I'm here. So an overnight success story after 14 years. Yes. And maybe you've talked about the mobile uh, workforce and connected vehicles. Maybe just tease out, like, what are the core products that you're offering and how do you solve problems for businesses? Uh, It's really four main products. Um, But without going into them in too much detail, particularly for ourselves, it's more the SMB space. And so imagine you have maybe 20 vehicles, you're servicing, you may be uh, fixing air conditioning as a business, Uh, you're based in America, and it's very much a mom and pop shop. You have your son and uh, even your grandchildren working in the company. And these are the my favorite users, as I call them, or customers I've ever encountered. So you really want this to be a success for them. Um, And the reason why this is just this this holistic product suite and the potential of it is incredible is that you get full visibility on the on the vehicles you can plan your day you can plan your week yeah, um, we have what's called a live map where that this is to them this is mission control it's like working in NASA you can also do route optimization so you can pour in the vehicles the drivers and the stops that are needed for the day and it's optimized and uh, there's some incredible algorithms and IP behind the company as well uh, and then to the individuals the personal touch uh, these are people that are getting out of the vehicles and that's the mobile workforce again for delivery for photographs for signatures for invoicing and then there's compliance issues as well that we help address as well, such as uh, if you did your leaving search here in Ireland, the tachographs and how much legally you can drive on the road. And we all remember that part of the curriculum um, and these kind of printers on board your, your, your truck or your lorry or your van for Europe. Um, but that's a worldwide um, compliance issue as well that we address. So it's this really very tidy story, probably not 
told so well by me there, but uh, a very tidy story for me of a user journey that we're, uh, we're addressing and the UX team and the product group and the R&D group are really uniting now to, to make this suite a really compelling uh, world-class product. And what's uh, amazing about this is they're, the kind of tool set that you're describing is the kind of tools that would have been available at enterprise level for massive logistics companies and they were able to package and have them in the hands of SMEs. Yes, and that 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 I think is why Fleetmatic turned into, in my humble opinion, and I'm with the company just over a year, uh, the the best in the world, and and why we were acquired by our competition, and our competition was Verizon, you know, Verizon were we're moving into the space, which is one of the biggest companies in the world. I mean, they have 180,000 staff. I, I joined a company with a couple of thousand staff, um, uh, and started out of out of Dublin. It's a point in my career where I'm really really excited about this this new chapter, um, and this this kind of company moving now into digital products. That's for me, I think, the most exciting thing about the potential of this market. So, bringing this around to UX, traditionally, before you arrived in the company, um, was there a UX capacity or was there a UX sensibility in the organization? The company itself has a great reputation, and what Fleetmatics did was really, really laser focus on the customer and get to know the customer. And like my boss, Peter Mitchell, who uh, was a co-founder of the company, he's the CTO of the company. And um, he really, really knows the customer. And a lot of the people who grew up in the company really know the customer and their pain. Uh, and I think through that and solving the pain and the pain points, which is kind of classic UX, in my opinion, uh, and representing the customer at every meeting and uh, it, I loved it, which was maniacally focused. And then unfortunately, Trump has used that recently and brought that kind of corporate terminology in and uh, he's ruined it for me now. But they were maniacally focused on the customer and the customers in this case are the people that I fell in love with on my first user testing visits in the States and, and here in Ireland. And so they were focused on the customer, but certainly methodology and best practice, et cetera, et cetera, that they, they were a bit ad hoc on that. And they, they didn't really have a, a skill set or, or specialization or experts in UX, I'd say, up to a year ago. So that's been my task is to bring that sensibility in. But it's great to have someone that has cover for you that I, without even knowing it was very, very focused and, and underneath it was probably quite UX focused himself. Yeah, it's the... You know, it's about how you translate your understanding of the customer's pain and continue to reinvent your product so that it becomes more and more of what customers need over time. Yes. And it was working up to a point, but really UX has matured so much in the marketplace, particularly on a consumer level, that these customers now expect this standard. When they turn from Uber, for example, back to a very nasty, try not to mention any names, but a very nasty SaaS um, experience back on their desktop, or even a mobile experience, they really are sublimely judging how that experience is compared to when they turn to their from their iPhone or their Android app to to that. A client of mine uh, once expressed it like this: uh, He was looking at a, an insurance claims process, and you know, uh, if a car is in a garage being repaired, you had no visibility over where in the process it actually was. You would have to go through multiple phone calls to find out. Uh, whereas if you've ordered a pizza from Domino's, you know that it's in the oven, it's in the car, it's outside your door, you know exactly where it is, and yet you have no idea what's happening to your the second most expensive thing that you own, most likely. With Verizon, in the same portfolio and now in the same company, we have a company called Hum, and Hum is exactly what you've described. It basically is a plug and play 
coming out of the Verizon shops um, at the easiest of impulse purchase about this plug and play, which is like, hey, would you like full visibility on your car? Would you like to plug in to see how your engine is doing? Would you like diagnostics? Would you like uh, safety scores? Would you like an emergency? Because it's a cellular network as well, right? And Verizon, would you like an emergency phone call um, if anything should happen to you? And, and this happens. There are incredible stories of this happening as well. And that's on a consumer level as well in our same group now. We've talked about this company really understanding and wanting to deliver for the customer. Now with its new uh, UX capability, the work that you've been doing, what role have you taken in the development cycle? I, I would say end to end. It's been a, a, a really interesting first year. The, the company has been really accommodating to me trying to accelerate the UX maturity process. If people are familiar with that, it's, it's basically the adoption of UX and best practice right the way up to executive level, right the way down to induction. I would say, uh, yeah, highly involved, highly involved with uh, product management on the roadmap level. Obviously, that's very much their space, but really the roadmap has to involve uh, the technical side and the UX side. And then uh, we're, we're engaged, fully engaged now in a design sprint approach as well. That's hugely collaborative. That's really my area of focus is people rather than processes. So, I mean, I don't care if it's design sprint this or user center design that, or we happen to be lean and Kanban focused as opposed to agile. But honestly, all that's going to change with the wind in the coming years. It's actually about collaboration and people. So when you come into a, an established company that has grand ambitions, uh, that have a, a, a track record of success and a way of doing things, you're now in here as UX, it's a flashy thing, we have to get some of this. How do you then, you mentioned communicating it to, uh, from induction to exec level, what does that actually look like? How do you, how do you instill a, a culture change in an organization to bring these methods and embed them in? I wouldn't have been able to do it 10 years ago. And not, I don't mean even the industry, the environment, or I actually just mean my own level of maturity or, or diplomacy. <laughs> we can probably come back to that, but it's uh, the, the VP of engineering calls the lean transformation. It's a game of inches and, and the, the UX transformation, I would say um, introduction in my case, and then transformation is again, a game of inches. So it's just one day at a time, you know, it's it's uh, one uh, conversation on the corridor, then in the next meeting is uh, very much based on trust and respect. And I know this sounds like corporate speak or, or um, consultants speak, but if you've been through the past experiences I've been through in design and in corporations and lack of trust, uh, regardless of UX, just on, on many levels, um, you can see how important a personal connection is, getting on a plane, talking to people in person. Um, that's the stuff that, that designers all designers, all, all creative uh, industry people have to get really good at is the soft skills. I've I've seen now that that's as much accelerating UX maturity, um, and then you just have to deliver, which I'm, I guess is what your what your um, interview is about or your your podcast is about. But delivering on the UX is only part of it. It's also just. Um, relating to people. One of the things that we think about when we talk about UX is its collaborative nature. You know, it's drawing in IT, it's drawing in the business, it's drawing in marketing to try and produce a result that's customer focused, but has success for the business. Um, that process, does that become more difficult as you're working across, well, transcontinental, I suppose, with you guys? Uh, it does. It definitely, it definitely does. But um, but I'm actually thinking about the Verizon. It wasn't so much a case in Fleetmatics, even though it was very much global. Um, 
there's a f- lean startup feel to it. You know, there's that kind of thing as well, which kind of shrinks the globe in itself. Um, on our side as well, we're taking a focus, uh, kind of a Spotify focus of squads and co-located. Uh, does that create a sense of mission and momentum? Uh, it does. It does. Absolutely. It's, it has a kind of a, a gang feel to it as well. There's much more a sense of achievement and ownership as well uh, and responsibility with that because, because yeah, there's, there's, there's a momentum behind it, which, uh, which I certainly wouldn't want to lose in a larger, larger organization. So I want to get to what actually makes a UX team within a transformation program of success. I think you you mentioned two things that are critical, which is that sense of mission. What are we actually trying to achieve? Uh, you also mentioned the ability to be personal evangelists of the process and build connections. What else is it that makes a, a UX component a success in a business? A team, definitely a team. Uh, and what do you mean by that? Well, when I when I came into the company, there was a very small number um, designers, and I would say very small, you know, in very low single digits. Um, and it was almost like starting from because there was some contractors in the mix as well. It was almost like starting from from scratch or from a standing start, uh, which is really exciting. I had very similar uh, experience in HMH as well, where it was very much animation and illustration focused, with zero UX, and that was really my interest. And uh, and I and I and I built it up there from that kind of standing start as well and got up to about 30 and uh, that's that's where I'm headed but instead of six years in HMH now it's happening potentially within one one and a half years in in Fleetmatics so the team definitely um, and even when the team wasn't there I had a couple of really key hires at the start um, and then brought in of course each another um, to help accelerate that so that, that was that was invaluable um, but now it's a case that we're really standing on our own two feet we're getting beyond that point I really want to get to which was 15 um, and and I'd say we'll be double that pretty soon as well. So that's my main priority uh, and that's my main focus. And that's definitely, that's why I'm a lot balder and a lot grayer. <laughs> it's been a lot of work, but I know how important the first six months is and the first year. And now we're, we've are we got the momentum and the acceleration. I wanted to match the acceleration that John Malamfi, uh, who had come from Dell.com, um, had in his lean transformation for, for their CICD um, approach the continuous improvement approach that he was bringing in and he was he was in over a year before me and then it was almost like a relay race where i came in and said i see your your transformation of the engineering side for peter on on that side and uh, and i'll match it uh, and do that on the ux side and uh, he's he's been amazing to be honest and that highly supportive and we're embedding ux now within the same kind of squad formation he has how important is it to show quick, solid results when a team is forming like that? It's essential uh, because um, if I had just incubated and baked the perfect cake for a year, it would be like a waterfall project, but for, for a UX team. And it's like, no, no, like Braveheart, hold, hold, we'll, we'll, we'll release soon. And, I, and instead, we just had to start proving immediately. So from my side, I had to start getting UX strategy out. I had to, I had to really push for the kind of hiring target I wanted. And not only that, then it's actually the delivery on the UX side. And that is difficult because the reality is, if you're starting with four major products, one of which is massive, you know, massive user base, huge amounts of data constantly flowing in on it, huge amount of work to be done on it, um, and the others as well, um, those people are spread really thin. So, of course, there's going to be a couple of bumps in the road when people are multitasking and spread over two products as opposed to two design sprints um, to begin with. And now I'm getting to that kind of parity 
Um, but but we had to start delivering very early on. And that was a mix of concepting. Uh, it was a mix of, on my side, uh, strategic decks and the UX strategy was very, very important at the start. Um, but it was as much education. And I don't mean that in a, a rude way, you know, this kind of like to educate the masses on what- Socialize, I believe is the word you use. Socialize, yes. But the best way to socialize is not a tech talk on it. That, that helps. It's actually to deliver to deliver stuff and then someone sees it and goes, tell me about that deck, tell me about this prototype. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. It's uh, strategy alone is just going to be a bunch of keynotes that uh, will be presented and then ignored and forgotten. Um, strategy is really, really important for us as designers or to communicate to executives. Mm -hmm. But to actually deliver upon that strategy, you need to be showing something tangible that can be pointed to. Yes, we've got a bullet point here on our deck, mm -hmm. but this is what it actually means in the real world. Mm -hmm. And and I'm trying to show the team as well that it isn't just opening up that flashy keynote or and I'm also telling them it's not going to be keynote for long. You got to convert it to a PDF, a PowerPoint, and it has to grow legs and walk away from you. And um, the reality is, we can't step away from that. That's why your presentations and and the embedded awesomeness within it has to not just be the prototype. It has to be the whole story. And you should always end with a challenging question, or you should end with a vision of next steps. And that's from from even the most you know, associate, as I wouldn't say junior, but associate researcher or, or designer, they have to they have to be aiming for that as well, because we ha we all have to be bringing it. You don't just suddenly grow up and become a UXer. If you're on my team, everyone is doing it and everyone has to deliver it. So yeah, the, everyone is responsible for UX strategy. Building teams is harder than it sounds on the outside, right? Yeah, it, it's it, it's really tough. I had this fear just recently, and it's completely irrational that I was getting this reputation for introducing UX and then building a team. And that's true, but I just think that's, I certainly have an ability to do that, but I think that's more my network. I can't really take credit for that. It's just the circles I move in. I think, sure, if people don't have that network and also those kind of soft skills for doing that and people management is a huge part of the job, it's gonna be a really tough road for them. So if, you're, if you struggle with that from the start, team building, or if you're the kind of temperament that some coaching isn't rounding, on, if you know where I'm going on retaining staff, uh, I'd say back away, just start beeping backwards uh, and reversing away from that because you're just going to be a liability, but you might be much stronger in other areas of, of the team uh, because, yeah, it, it is tough. And also it's highly competitive now as well. Uh, but the great news is not everyone is financially motivated, you know. Um, there is a, an awful lot to be said for the, the value and the intelligence and the fact that you're given a voice in your job um, that, that, and you're a consultant, as I said, regardless of the level on my team, that is as much part of, the, part of the equation as your package, as it's called. The culture creation becomes absolutely key. Designers tend not to be motivated by... I'm just smiling because I'm thinking of the... Every conference I've ever been at, it's like culture eats whatever for breakfast. And I, every time I hear it, I always think... Culture eats Weetabix for breakfast. You know, it's like it is a cliche for sure. I think every every industry is starting to use that now, but uh, it's true. Well, it, it, well, every industry is starting to use UX. That doesn't actually mean they're they're doing it and delivering on it. Um, and culture is the hardest thing to define, really. And it comes down to a sense of agency over your own work. You mentioned it earlier on about a, a voice, a participation, and fundamentally, it comes down to being able to deliver on what you have imagined or what you've expected for designers, at least, I believe. And that's something that your company is able to offer. But I pinch myself now where I'm like, my God, the company has just bought 
uh, a company which which is like the air traffic control standard of drones. And it's a drone company now uh, as well, the group that we're in. We started off talking about culture, but I, I think the enthusiasm that you've been talking about and the opportunities that are there is clear that there's an offering that's attractive to designers. What we want is the ability to make a difference and to play in exciting spaces, I think. Um, and I think that those things become very attractive, despite how buoyant the marketplace is for young designers. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about acquisitions there, you're talking about the value or the potential uh, that uh, Verizon is seeing in these sorts of businesses. You are in charge of building a team, there's a cost to that, you can see the wage bill ticking up every month, you if, if you don't have the wage bill, then you have consultancy fees to fill gaps. How are you justifying the cost of this to, to a board? Like, how do you, what arguments do you make then about design being ultimately of bottom line value? We're very much focused on um, success criteria. Um, again, it's a game of inches in that respect as well, where we're trying to find out in this campaign or in this next release um, or in this test, in this A-B test, what what is going to be um, the thing that we're measuring? Is it engagement? Um, is it reducing X, Y, or Z, or increasing X, Y, and Z. And I'm focused on that. And I think then being focused on a strategic level on the ROI of a UX team will play its will play out itself. If we stay focused on the detail of the problems we're trying to solve for the company and for the for the uh, customer, um, then the rest will come. Um, obviously, like I have a, bit, a background in, in business as well, I'm very aware of return on investment and being uh, very conscious of that as well. But I think, as I'm saying, I think that's, that will look after itself if you're using design as a differentiator. And frankly, we all know the stories of venture capital companies who are now not investing in companies that don't have design representation, and not just design representation, actually design leadership. And you, how you deliver on that is uh, is really, really important. So. I'm very much integrated into the the product R&D and uh, strategy side of things as well. We're very much uh, about strategy rather than just a lick of paint or a cosmetic change. Yeah, I think that's fundamentally the difference. If you're expecting UX team to turn on a tap uh, and produce an MPS swing, it's the wrong way to think about it. It should do that, uh, but design uh, implementation and uh, across products and services should be able to do a whole lot more than just that MPS swing. Um, and I think that's where design leadership and design strategy comes into play, that the benefits are way wider than just a, a, a key metric that the business is using to, uh, that's almost arbitrary as an indicator of the business health. That, that's where that's where engineering and UX are this really perfect marriage because um, we have, particularly in a lean, lean um, UX, uh, and in our case, we're very much driven by a Kanban process, is that we'll be looking at releasing things maybe on a weekly basis or, or potentially even daily. And you can see that and we're focused on that. But at the same time, then there should be this quarterly and year long view as well. And this is where it ties into the roadmap. Um, and OK, everybody on the UX team uh, doesn't have to have the skill set to be able to balance between those. But certainly myself and any of the kind of senior leaders on my team should be very, very aware of that and aware of how important we are and our decisions and our advice is on both the short term and the long term or the micro and the macro. What are the key challenges facing internal teams as they grow and as they establish themselves in organizations? So this is now for fictitious as opposed to where I am. Um, and I would say support, endorsement um, for, from your peers, but also 
at the most senior level in the company. Um, it can be very difficult, I guess, if, if one or two levels around you are very supportive of what you're doing, if you're an engineer or a UX designer. But if uh, if the, the CEO or the CTO or whatever else is very dismissive, th there's really no hope. Um, and uh, I think that would be the key one is that kind of support network. Then on top of that is culture. Again, going back to the cliche is culture because uh, I had heard about Fleet Maddox, but they also had a reputation for uh, great culture, really great culture, great events. And it wasn't forced. It wasn't any of the silly stuff that you see companies now that are trying to headhunt or poach entire teams from other teams. That only lasts for six months. Beanbags are not culture. Beanbags, not culture. That wears off within about the first week if you're really shallow. Um, so uh, so it was about culture uh, and respect. And so that, I think, will be a pretty big challenge as well. So those two things is like uh, executive support right the way down to your peers and your colleagues and other groups, uh, and then a genuine culture. They're kind of related, I guess, it's respect. I think they are. It's license to change and, and willingness to change. Yeah. Uh, I often think of, you know, how many UX designers does it take to change a company? Just one, but the company really has to want to change. It's the same thing. Uh, yes, but honestly, um, nowhere's perfect. So uh, change is frightening. Um, it's like a whole new, a whole new area invented for most, most, most of the corporate world. And, and I think a lot of the world is still, while they're embracing it, they're still scratching their head going, is this seriously happening? Has this not gone away yet? Um, this this looks real. Okay, we better we better get used to this. And um, and yeah, we're I guess we're in the thick of it as an industry as a as a profession. So taking this away from fictitious and abstract, uh, what are like the three key benefits that Fleetmatics is experiencing uh, by installing a, a UX team like yours? Uh, I would say it is a speed. You can be a really, really fast R&D group, but you would, uh, and, and a really, really incredibly visionary product group, but without the kind of speed of uh, research and testing and prototyping um, that, that a UX team can bring with both of those groups, we can't do it on our own. Uh, then you'll never get whatever flavor or methodology you're using. You will never get speed because you're still building a monolith. You're still kind of waterfall because you're building something that's either purely in code or purely in the product management vision. Um, and you're going out to market and you have your fingers crossed. Whereas we hopefully are reducing some of that uncertainty. I would say a, a value add to the culture as well. There might be some resistance, there might be some change, there might be some slagging, you know, of what of designers and etc. And that's cool. I actually, like I said, of a pretty patchy um, career, so I haven't started from art college, so I I, I kind of res respect all those viewpoints on designers, um, but we certainly um, add to the tapestry of the organisation. Then I would say um, now, and this is slightly controversial, but uh, I was going to say intelligence, but um, speaking of diversity, it's that sides of the brain. So software is is a side. Shall we say perspective? A perspective, yeah, but it's like left side and right side of the brain. I probably don't even have to finish that. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not just binary. Donald, thank you very much. Thanks, Amelia. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed the show today. For more insights, check out eachanother.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Conversations with Each Another on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. 